Hey, everybody, you found Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, will Buffalo's cap situation compromise their ability to improve their roster? We take a look at what the numbers say. Brad Spielberger from OverTheCap.com and Pro Football Focus helps us assess free agent value on the open market. And our one burning question asks, is Russell Wilson's presence in the AFC West a good thing or a bad thing for the Bills' AFC fortunes? Time to wheel and deal! All right, glad you could join us here on Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills Insider Chris Brown with you as always. And we come out of the blocks with Buffalo's lengthy list of decisions to make to get under the salary cap by next Wednesday, March 16th. They've already done that for all intents and purposes with the first two moves that they made. They released A.J. Klein. They released John Feliciano. So they got under the cap there, but there's probably more coming down the pike. Bill's GM Brandon Bean was on WGR Radio in Buffalo this past week, said they were about, you know, they were over at the time. They're now under, but there's clearly more work that has to be done. they got to create room for their rookie pool to get their draft class signed, and then they need more room under there. If they're going to sign anybody back or sign anybody on the open market, we estimate it's, you know, somewhere between 30, 35 million total. 35 million. When, when they were six and a half over, it's going to yeah. be 35 million over. So, yeah, they need about 20 million bucks outside the 8 million for their rookie cap. So, our first question Do you think they're willing to change the roster to that degree to create that much room? Yeah, I think so. I, I think they've got their, they've probably been at this for a while. Now, certainly, they probably have different combinations of players. They could either rework contracts or re- outright release. Um, under the right circumstances, John Feliciano, uh, A.J. Klein being the first two guys, uh, and, of course, Cole Beasley being released to go out and seek a trade. That'll give them some relief if they trade him. That'll give them a lot of relief if they just outright release him. Uh, that'll get them a good, a fair bit of the way, you know, halfway at least to where their total number mm-hmm. is, maybe even a little more. So, yes, they have to be ready to do that uh, in this day and age of the NFL. If you're going to – if you're going to, you know, go from one year to the next, I think that's the thing that sets some rosters apart, Brownie, is you got to be willing to say goodbye to some good players knowing that you've got guys in the pipeline that you've coached up and are ready to take over. I don't know that they're in that position at every one of these spots, but certainly they are They're under no illusions that they're not going to have to rinse through the bottom right. of the roster or yeah, maybe and even I, the top of the roster. Right, and I, while there may not be any players that fall into this category necessarily, I think Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are comfortable making the difficult business decisions. They don't get married to any one player necessarily, and that was something if, that I know you will remember well. John Butler had a tough time with that as GM of the Bills. He kind of yeah. had his favorites and really had a tough time letting them go, and it ultimately led to like a Black Monday kind of cut. I, what was it? Bruce Smith, Andre Reed, and Thurman, Thurman I think, yeah. all got released on the same day. It was like, oh, that was a giant gut punch. I don't think the Bills will ever get into a situation like that under Bean because he makes the tough decisions as they come upon them. And they're not easy, 
it's clear. He said it before. He doesn't like that part of the business, but it is part of the business. And if you want to stay cap strong, which is one of his philosophies, you have to make those decisions year over year, especially in a, in a day and age where your salary cap each of the last two years yeah. has trailed what the, proje- what the projection said they were supposed to be because of the pandemic. So he, the Bills and 31 other teams, for that matter, have had to make very difficult decisions, have had to make asks of players on their roster. Hey, we're in a pandemic's cap situation here. Can you take a pay cut? Hey, can we move some money around on your contract so we can keep you and other players in the fold and stay competitive in the AFC? They they don't like doing that, but it's a necessary function of what has happened to the cap the last two years with the pandemic. Yeah, you think about where the bills are at, and you could you you project where they have been or where they were at five years ago when Brandon Bean took over, and they had to you know they had to gut the roster and and say goodbye to some really good players. And also, you know, you look at other teams like the the New Orleans Saints, who are seventy five million dollars over the cap. Um, the Bills' philosophy has been over the last couple of years. They'll make some pretty tough decisions every year mm-hmm. so that they never get into a year where they just got to say, listen, we're, we're, rebuild, we're, we're rebuilding here. We don't have anybody yeah. we can pay. Uh, so in order for them to do that, they've made some pretty tough decisions year over year with this roster. And Sean McDermott and his coaching staff have done a really nice job finding replacements, coaching guys we don't know up to where they become guys we do know. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of been one of the probably the most um, pleasantly surprising aspects of Sean McDermott's tenure here in Buffalo is player development. Player development. Yeah. Their their ability to get more out of less. And I think that's been one of the things that has kept them competitive. Last year they restructured the contracts of Mario Addison, Vernon Butler, and Mitch Morse. That's when the cab was at one eighty two and a half, which is ridiculous. Like it dropped over twenty million dollars. Right. Forget they, about going up. It dropped. Yeah. And then they released John Brown and Quentin Jefferson, who had just gotten here in free agency after one year gone. Knowing they are likely to be some similar decisions, what do you believe is the balance being strikes between filling holes on this roster with free agent signings and the draft in light of the limited cap space they're bound to have? They got nine picks. Right. May not end up with nine I if think they move around a little bit. I think they'll use all of them. I think they come out of Because it's with, cheap labor. I can't, yeah, they use all of those draft picks. Um, and all of those draft picks are on the roster. Really? Nah, practice squad as well, I yeah. guess. They are also probably going to look to really I, I i don't think i don't think they'll release too many more guys they they might release a couple more guys may redo some guys contracts yeah there's no question they've got some tough decisions to make but i think all of those nine draft picks are made by the bills at the spots they're at i don't think they trade up or they may trade down and get an extra one yeah you know what i mean but they're going to get all of those guys that's where they're that's where the bulk of their players are going to come from but i think on the other hand they're also going to look to the draft classes of the past AJ Epinesa's, Rousseau's, Basham's, Ed Oliver's, Isaiah Hodgins, you know, the receivers that they've Gabe gotten. Davis. Gabe Davis, Marquez Stevenson. They need those guys to get coached up and come out and have a really strong rookie train, uh, second year training camp. So, but I think also, you know, the, the thing that we've seen so far is with the release of Feliciano and the release of AJ Klein, 
players of that ilk, um, yeah, I think there's going to be more of that. Yeah, and I would say, you know, dovetailing off of what you said about how Bean makes difficult decisions each year so he doesn't have a pile of them to make in any one offseason and effectively render your team non-competitive, the reason he can do that is because there are players in the pipeline. Right. They've always got young players in the pipeline that they are developing behind the scenes. Look at the safety position alone. You and I were talking about this just in our office the other day. Yes, they have Poyer and Hyde. Yes, they're going to be together again this year. But after this year, it's somewhat of an unknown beyond the 2022 season. And you say, well, what are they going to do there? Well, they've got Jaquan Johnson in the pipeline for three years. They have Josh Thomas, and people might be saying, who the hell is that? It's an undrafted kid from App State who they've been grooming on the practice squad the last two years. They drafted DeMar Hamlin last year, and they like him a lot. One of those three guys could very well be a starter for this team in 2023. Right. I mean, it's possible. Probably but not that's, 2022, but yes. But I, that's an example. <clears throat> unless something happens. That Right. But that's an example of how they have people in the pipeline. You just listed their young receivers, Isaiah Hodgins, uh, Marquez Stevenson, and then Gabriel Davis, who's probably going to be the number two receiver on this roster this year. But Hodgins and Marquez Stevenson, they're probably going to factor into the top five somewhere. At least one of them will. You yes. would think. I would think Marquez Stevenson but has a leg up because of his returnability right. and all of that. But that's the cheap labor that you have to get on the field sooner rather than later now if you're going to be perennially competitive. And here's, and here's the thing as well. I mean, I'm not saying they're, they're relying on this, but they're going to get guys like Marquez Stevenson. If, if any of these guys, Isaiah Hodgins, Marquez Stevenson, and, or some of the others, um, Jaquan Johnson, uh, you know, if none of them are working out or if they're not working out, by the time training camp gets around or early in the season through training, there's going to be other players who have been squeezed off other rosters that you're going to say, okay, now we can pick this guy up for the veteran minimum. The guy we might have had to pay $3.5 million to, we're going to pay nine hundred grand to now. There are going to be guys like that who have experience, who want to, who want to get back into the NFL. And in play for way, a winner. And play for a winner, yes. And prove they've still got some gas in the tank for maybe one more even if it's another one-year deal at the end of their career, that's what they want. A guy like Emmanuel Sanders this last year. Who knows where he would have been this last year, but he was with the Bills playing well for them. So guys are going to be like that available late, but you have to be ready to sit back and say, okay, we're going to wait until he wants to play for us yeah, you hold instead your water. of us needing him to play. Yeah, you got to hold your water there. We briefly touched on this on our daily show, One Bills Live, but with what we anticipate to be relatively limited cap space, might the Bills look to address offense and defense with the lower-priced positions in free agency, like tight end, maybe guard, running back, and save defensive tackle, cornerback, defensive end, and wide receiver for the draft where they can acquire affordable assets on rookie contracts. Right. What do you think of that? Lower price positions in free agency on average, higher price positions in the draft. I agree. It's a great move. And I, think about it. That That's my theory as to how they could approach it this if year. If you think about it, the tight end, the franchise tag for a tight end is 10.8. Yeah. The franchise tag for a wide receiver 18, is 18 four. four. So you, know, you do the math yourself. And guard I mean, it's is almost the, twice as much. Guard's the same thing. A left tackle is fifteen million dollars or seventeen right. million dollars. The guard is 
eight. Right. I mean, and, and, and the bills aren't even paying the top of the market right. at those lesser priced positions. Right. So that's, yeah, that's the idea going in. But here's the thing. Usually in free agency, and listen, we always hear about these guys signing huge deals, huge deals. Huge, when free agency opens up, the difference is this. There's also going to be guys we don't know about that, that just want to work. You're going to be able to get guys later in free agency, two weeks right. into free agency. The market's not there for the guy. And he says, listen, I want to play somewhere. Well, and yeah, and the- Buffalo would be great. They got a chance to win it. I can make that team. Let's go. Those kind of things will happen as well. And that may be where Buffalo is relegated to financially, just to wait on guys. And they'll reach out to them early in free agency, say, listen, this is the number we can give you now. Go get what you can get. If you can't find somebody, we're going we're gonna to be competing for Pick the Super the Bowl. We're going to be at the Super Bowl. This is the number. When you want to take it, let us know. And if you get a better one, bless your heart. Go ahead. Yeah. And that's what will happen to some, some players and some teams. Yeah. The Bills very rarely – pay top-of-the-market money on free agency because Brandon Bean does not like to overpay and often puts his roster in a position where he is not that desperate where he has to do so. Right. The one exception might be Star Latulale, defensive tackle, when they just had nobody to stop the run, ten, you know, five years, right. $50 million. Mitch Morse. And the other one is Mitch Morse. Yeah. You know, so th- those are the really the only two exceptions. And the other big swing is the trade for Stephon Diggs, paying – big money for a receiver because they redid his deal shortly after he arrived. That's about it, though. Yeah. That's really it because he's been very fiscally responsible what a, on the free agent market. One of the, Go ahead. The only thing I was going to add to our conversation here, Steve, is how different do you believe the roster looks this year in terms of new personnel? Be- and the reason I ask that is because last year, they made a conscious effort to re-sign as many of their own free agents as they could. I don't get the sense we're going to see a similar outcome this year. I think we're going to see different names yeah. being added back to this roster this year instead of the same names. In other words, the, I think fewer of their own free agents are going to be back this year. It's a little different this year than it was last year. I don't think you've got a like a Matt Milano um, – You know, a Daryl Williams. A Daryl Williams. A John uh, Feliciano. Right, uh, See, a, a Matt Milano re-signed here, and he's a starter. He was a plug-in play. So was Matt, uh, John Feliciano and Daryl Williams. Uh, they came back. Williams ended up playing guard uh, for the Bills. Milano's now since been released, uh, much in the vein of Quentin Spain two years ago. Uh, I, I think this is a point where the, the big overall philosophy of the Bills is they want to go out in free agency and want to fill all these holes that they think they're going to have. So that when the draft comes, those nine picks they've got, whoever's the best player, whether he's a tight end, a guard, or a tackle, or a safety, or whatever, they can take him because they've already got the hole filled. They don't really got to have a cornerback, too, because free agency has filled that. That may be compromised by the finances this year. They may go into this draft thinking, all right, we're going to get a top corner in this draft. We're gonna, there's going to be one available at 25 because they're not going to take six of them off the board. But we're going to take one at the top of the draft. So we're, we're going to forego the cornerback market in free agency because we're going to do it in the draft. That's not where you want to be ideally, but it may be for one position or the other where the Bills are at for yeah. this draft. And what we've in. seen, Brandon. Because of the finances. And what we've seen Brandon Bean do more often than not is fill as many holes as he can in free agency right. while being fiscally responsible. So he's not in a position where he has to gravitate towards a position or two because he's got glaring holes there. How much is he going to be able to do that this offseason, knowing his cap space is going to be limited? 
you know, he may have to leave a position or two solely to the draft. He has nine choices to do it, so there's more capital, more draft capital to do that. So I wonder if it flips a little bit, because more often than not, he has used free agency, granted, tier two and tier three type players to fill holes, and then that way he doesn't feel like, oh, my God, I really got to get one of these I, right. I really got to get this position filled in the draft or we're screwed. He doesn't like leaving right. himself in that position. But he, with the limited cap space, there may be a position or two where he has to do that. Right. And that, that's exactly right. Because of the finances. He doesn't – he's said time and again he doesn't want to go into the draft with a positional emergency. Yes. And that's what they're trying to keep away from uh, by hook or crook. But I'm with you. If they do do that, maybe it will be one of those positions that is, you know – not one of the money positions. Maybe it yeah. is a guard or a tight end spot where they, they're going to try and yeah. fill or in. Or even a running back. Or running like back, yeah. yeah. Right now, new customers at FanDuel can get their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just sign up today by going to sportsbook.fanduel.com or by downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. We move along to this week's edition of the numbers game where we put Steve to the test. We're going to play a little Bills franchise tag history. Buffalo has used the franchise tag on five players since it was an option for NFL teams. So I will give you clues, Steve, and see if you can guess the players. Are you ready? All right. Oh man, I have no. I'm not. I don't. Well, I'm gonna. I I think I've been relatively generous with these clues, but only time will tell. And to help you, I will tell you we're gonna go in reverse chronological order. So most recent use of the franchise tag to the oldest franchise tag usage by the Buffalo Bills in their history. Okay. All right. Clue number one: a former second-round pick of the Bills. I was a starter as a rookie. Appearing in all 16 games at a very important position, I would go on to start each of the next three seasons before the Bills put the franchise tag on me in 2016. Who am I? Kyle Williams. It is not Kyle Williams. I will give you a bonus clue. I never played under the franchise tag as I signed a five-year extension with the Bills but I was traded by Buffalo in 2018 oh. to the Cincinnati Bengals, along with the team's 22nd oh, overall pick in exchange for Cincinnati's pick at 12 overall. It was the offensive lineman, the left tackle. I can't remember his name. It was uh, Cordy Glenn. There you go, Steve. Well done. I hear clapping in the crowd. <laughs> They're so proud They of did you. not think I was going to get They're that. They're so Come proud on, of you. Come on, little faith. All right, clue for franchise tag player number two. All right. Much like Cordy Glenn, I was also a second-round pick, and I was also an immediate starter by my rook- in my rookie year. I played so well that I went to the Pro Bowl as a rookie. After my first four seasons, the Bills put the franchise tag on me in 2013 after I was named to my third Pro Bowl, and I played under the tag in my final season with the Bills before I signed a monster free agent contract in the 2014 offseason with an NFC South club. NFC South. Starter as a rookie. got to be. Second round pick. Went to the Tampa, Pro Bowl. Tampa, New Orleans, Carolina. 
Or who's the other NFC South team? Atlanta. Atlanta. Wow, who was that? So got hit with the franchise tag in 2013. And went to play for an NFC South team on a monster deal. The following year. The following year. So he played under the tag here in 2013, and the Bills chose not to sign him to a monster free agent contract. Man, oh man. Uh, wait. Uh, the safety. Jarris Bird. There you go. Good job, Steve. Look at that Rolodex of memory flipping through it. Two for two. All right. Didn't even have to give you the bonus clue. That was great. All right. Clue for franchise tag player number three, <clears throat> the 21st pick in the 2001 NFL draft by the Bills. That was a highly touted player and for the most part lived up to the hype. As Say it, that again. Which which draft? 21st pick in the 2001 draft. Oof. For the most part, lived up to the hype as a defensive playmaker. After making the Pro Bowl my fourth season with the Bills, I was entering the final year of my rookie contract. Following my fifth year, Buffalo put the franchise tag on me for the 2006 season. I agreed to sign the franchise tag on the condition that the Bills wouldn't tag me again the following year. They obliged, and I signed the most lucrative free agent deal for a defensive player in league history in 2007, an eight-year, $80 million deal. Is that Steph Gilmore? It is not Stephon Gilmore, no. Um, uh, oh, no. Gosh, this is a... Uh, 2001 draft, 2001 21st draft. pick. And back then, player. back then you could sign rookies to like five-year contracts right. straight out the gate, which is what they did with this player. So he played his first five years here. Then they tagged him. So he's here for six years. Yeah. Tagged him for year six. And then after that, he signed a big free agent deal in 07. Where'd he go? Give me another clue. Bonus clue. The team that signed me in free agency... Is the San Francisco 49ers, where I played for four more years before finishing my career in Cincinnati. The Niners? That's right. Family? Gigantic contract. Largest largest contract for a defensive player in NFL history. Eight years. Totally. Eighty totally, million dollars. Totally blanking. Okay. It was Nate Clements. Oh, of course. I played with. No, I didn't play. No, you didn't. I didn't play all right, so like two for three. Gosh, Clue for that. franchise tag player number four, Good a second-round pick of the Bills in 1999. I was a productive offensive player and saved my best year with Buffalo for the last on my rookie contract. It forced Buffalo to put the franchise tag on me, but knowing they didn't have the cap space to sign me to a long-term deal, they pulled off a sign-and-trade deal, acquiring a first-round pick in exchange for me and my long-term contract agreement going to them. Not Lee Evans. 99 draft pick. Offensive player. It's not, is it a running back like Willis or somebody? When was Willis McGahee? Willis, it is not Willis McGahee, but he was the player they chose with with this first round pick that they acquired. All right. Offensive player. That's right. Best year. Was his fourth year. Fourth year. Oh, was it? uh, um, And he was a second round pick in 99. So do the math. Okay, that ain't right. So do the math. 
fourth year would be what season? 03. No, 02. 02. Yeah, 99. So who had a big offensive season in 2002 for the Bills? Bledsoe was 03, though. Bledsoe got there in 02. Lee Evans? It was not Lee Evans. Not here yet. 02. Marshawn? Thinking. I'll give you the bonus clue. All right. The team I was traded to was the Atlanta Falcons, where I was never able to duplicate the production I put up in Buffalo. I came back for a second stint with the Bills, where I played my final two professional seasons in 2006 and 2007. Really? Yes. Who the heck is that? It is Peerless Price, Steve. Oh, man. I would never have gotten that. Oh, no? Okay. No, I'm glad I, I gave it to you. That. All right. You're two for four. Let's go. Come on. You got to right. get better than 50% get, here. Okay. Clue for franchise tag player this number is even five. further back. A first-round pick of the Bills. I played on two of the Super Bowl teams with Buffalo and held down an important positional role. So important that the Bills put the franchise tag on me in 1996. I didn't play under the franchise tag, however, as the Bills were able to sign me to a long-term contract extension. First-rounder in... When? First round pick of the Bills. I didn't give you the year yet. Okay, two of the Super Bowls. So two of the Super Bowls. So it's 90, yeah. The first player they ever put the franchise tag on. Wasn't in 1996. Wasn't Henry Jones. The next year would have been the first round pick. The next year, Shane Conlon. No, that's no, 80s. that was 80s. Two of them, and he went. And what was the rest of that clue there? Uh, played on two Super Bowl teams. Played an important positional role. So important, the Bills put the franchise tag on me in 1996. Didn't play under the tag because I was signed to an extension before the '96 season. I will say first round pick '92. Two. I'll give it to you. 1992. Wow. Off at positional role. Hold on. John Fina. That is correct, Steve. Well done. Three out of five. I know I made you sweat a little bit there, but good job there. A hard one. In the numbers game. All right, well played. We now welcome in a man who will be hard at work assessing cap space and breaking down new free agent contracts in the coming week. It's Brad Spielberger from OverTheCap.com and Pro Football Focus, who joins us to talk about the Bills' difficult roster decisions and what might be affordable in free agency. Here's Brad. All right, Brad, so let's start here. We've already seen the Bills make some moves to create some more cap room for themselves, and they probably still have more work to do if they want to be a player at all in free agency. And we often see the Bills kind of go Tier 2, Tier 3. They're not usually in bidding wars for big-name players, um, but they're going to have some work to do, and I don't know that they're going to be able to get back too many of their own guys. So I don't. we had this theory. Tell me what you think about this. Knowing their cap space is limited, I'm wondering if they focus on the higher-priced positions in the draft, like wide receiver, defensive tackle, cornerback, and go for the lower-priced positions in free agency, like guard or tight end. What do you think of that, and, and have you seen other teams do that in past years? 
Yeah, it's definitely a growing trend as teams understanding positional value in the draft. And, you know, if you strike gold on a good player at a premium position, the surplus value of that guy is, you know, that much higher because they play at a pricey spot. And I think GM Brandon Bean has kind of always understood that. He obviously has been addressing defensive line and offensive line with a lot of those early picks in recent years. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably a good strategy and probably something they should be looking to do with their cap limitations. When you guys an- go through analytics, how do they help you? I know it helps in quantifying players and who's playing well, who's not playing well, play selection, third and long, and when to punt, when to go for it. But what about analytics in- as applied to the draft? What's the most telling way that you can help teams or teams use analytics in the draft to make selections? Yeah, so, you know, I have the salary cap and contract background, so I actually wrote a book about the NFL draft and and, and trying to find, you know, positional value is a big part of it, but also just methods of moving around the draft. But here's one example from that book. So, you know, the Saquon Barkley pick got panned by a lot of folks for the on-field component, but as a contract guy, here's how I look at it. When Saquon Barkley was taken number two overall, he was the fifth highest paid running back in the NFL the day the draft happened. The following year, Nick Bosa went second overall, and he was the 37th highest paid edge defender in the NFL. So you're getting elite play from the positions, but for Bosa, you're saving, you know, 20, 25 million dollars a season compared to if you were a veteran on the market. So things like that are very important and teams need to understand that it's not just about the on field, but also how you allocate your resources. We saw the Bills successfully bring Isaiah McKenzie and Levi Wallace back into the fold last year on one-year deals and at pretty affordable numbers. Those guys had quality seasons with quality production last year for this team. To me, it looks like they have priced themselves out of a way for the Bills to get them back in the fold, provided there's enough interest on the market. I don't see any reason why there shouldn't be. What, uh, what are the tea leaves telling you in terms of value for guys like McKenzie and Wallace, again, at two high-priced positions? Yeah, so I haven't heard a ton on McKenzie, but I do think a guy like that that can even take carries out of the backfield that is just a very versatile weapon will have a solid market. I can tell you, um, you know, with, with respect to um, – you know, the cornerback market is expected to be huge. And I think Levi Wallace could do very well. I've heard he could push the eight to nine million per year number. And as you're saying, I don't know if the bills can go there. And what does it tell you about uh, the way these guys not only are paid and picked, but also on the player's side of it, a guy who bets on himself, take these one-year deals that have become a little bit more prevalent for Buffalo how does that affect the guys going forward out of that market? Have you, have you done any long-term studies about guys who do take these one-year prove-it deals and what happens to them uh, by and large after that? Or does that, affect te- and does that affect teams positively or negatively as well? You know, sometimes players can, can unfortunately get stuck to that value. Even if they have a solid year, teams can kind of use that against them and say, look, you play, you're willing to play for this amount. So, you know, you, you didn't play so much better than before that you should jump. But other guys like Levi Wallace 
definitely cashed out, you know, played almost a thousand snaps last year. There's a ton of teams looking for a good, you know, number two corner in a zone heavy scheme. He's a bit, you know, thin, but, you know, all of six feet tall. And I think that is going to lead to a strong market. I think also last year, teams understand that a lot of players took one year flyers because of the drop in the salary cap. But now that revenues are back on track and, and there's expected to be a huge boost to the salary cap in 2023 and beyond, I think some of those guys are going to do very well. I was curious for your take, Brad, on a couple of receivers that are going to be on the open market here that are coming off, let's just say, less than stellar production years. A guy like Allen Robinson, and it's probably not his fault more than anything else. He had a mess at quarterback all year long in Chicago. I mean, he's a year removed from being franchise tagged. So obviously there are probably more than enough teams that think a lot of him on the open market. Um, And then there's Juju Smith-Schuster, who played on a one-year deal last year, didn't light it up in terms of having a career year because he was playing with an old quarterback, and now the quarterback situation there is muddled at best. So do you see Juju going somewhere else on a one-year prove-it deal to hopefully get make a bigger splash in free agency the following year, or do you think there's enough respect for guys like him and Robinson where they'll still be able to get paid top dollar on a multi-year deal? So coming into the offseason, I would have thought both were going to be playing on one-year prove-it deals. It does sound now like a, a couple teams have gotten into the Allen Robinson sweepstakes and are willing to kind of just ignore the 2021 season, which, you know, they should. He, he's been quarterback-proof his entire career, all the way back to playing with Christian Hackenberg at Penn State. You know, he's had a, a rough draw of, of passers. So I think some teams are going to try to, you know, push that out of their mind. Still not even 30 years old, like you said, a, a franchise player. Um, so obviously, you know, the Chicago Bears also valued him highly, even though they were unwilling to give him that multi-year extension. I think he will get it. As for Juju Smith-Schuster, it does seem that way. He, he was he impressed some clubs by coming back to play in that playoff game. His shoulder injury was supposed to keep him out until it sounded like May or even June. Um, and he's a really tough guy, you know, a willing blocker, you know, a guy that can go over the middle and take big hits. But I still do think another one-year flyer in that 8 to $10 million range you know, might be his market. What does it say about the, the NFL's pool of, say, wide receivers? Because for the last three years, we've seen a ton of wideouts come out of this draft. Has that done anything to change the market free agent-wise about guys, how much they're going to command in the free agent market, how, willing, how easily replaceable they are? It's certainly a really valuable position. But you're getting guys coming out of the draft that all of a sudden can perform at a high level for cheap money. Uh, has that? How does that affect the market going forward? Like this year, free agency, which of these guys are going to sign? Teams are going to sign. Hundred percent. It's something that clubs are talking about. The last four years now, you can find guys in these, even in the second and third round that can start for you pretty much from day one and be productive players. And this draft class looks the same. I mean, there is a long list of high-quality receivers in this class, and I do think teams are noticing that and not willing to pay as much in free agency. I think probably a good example is last year with Corey Davis coming off his best season in Tennessee, a former top-10 pick and signed for three years, $37.5 million, so 12 and a half per year. The only guy that got a good deal really all last offseason was Kenny Galladay. He had to wait until late in free agency, and I think the New York Giants, frankly, were desperate, and that didn't reflect you know, his market league-wide. So, yes, I think there may be some of that impact on some of the guys that do make it to the market this year because teams recognize you can find really good players you know, on cheap rookie deals. 
Last one we've got for you, Brad. The backup quarterback situation is one of interest in Buffalo, with Mitchell Trubisky expected to cash in somewhere else on a long-term deal, knowing the quarterback needy teams that are out there. I think in an ideal world, the Bills would love to have a veteran that they know is capable of carrying them through a couple of games if, God forbid, Josh Allen has to go down to injury and miss a couple of weeks. But they're also going to need to be budget-conscious so how do you marry those two things with an affordable veteran? Like, who fits that description? Is, can you get a Fitzpatrick coming off an injury for a cheaper deal? I would tend to think you could, but is Andy Dalton fit into that category? Is he still too much money? Colt McCoy, where are we there? Yeah, you know, I think kind of the opposite of the receivers. I think teams are now realizing the backup quarterback position is one of the more important positions on your roster. And even if not to, you know, not, we're not going to see the Nick Foles scenario happen again where a guy wins a Super Bowl, but even just with now only one team getting a bye in the playoffs, let's say Josh misses three games, but your backup is able to go two and one versus a backup that goes, you know, one and two or oh and three. It's a huge deal now for playoff seating. So that being said, I think there should be some decent cheap options. Colt McCoy, definitely a good answer. He, he played well last year in Arizona. Um, you know, I think Teddy Bridgewater now probably doesn't go back to Denver. He was looking for a decent deal, though. He played pretty well. So maybe he's you know not in the price range. Uh, Dalton's a good answer as well. I, I don't see him matching that one-year $10 million flyer he got last year. It might look more like the deal he had in Dallas the year prior uh, for one year, $3 million. And I think Buffalo should go for something like that. Brad, thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Steve, time for our one burning question. This past week, we saw Russell Wilson traded from the Seahawks to the Broncos, along with a fourth-round pick in exchange for three players, four draft picks, including a pair of ones. We saw the Carson Wentz deal soon follow. But that now puts Russell Wilson in a division in the AFC West with Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr. Have fun. Is that a good thing for the Bills as far as the power structure of the AFC conference? Is that a good thing or a bad thing, knowing the importance now more than ever of home field advantage in the playoffs? Uh, I would say prob the fact that he's in the AFC is a bad thing, no question. But it's a good thing as to where he landed. Landing in Denver in the same conference with Pat Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr, two of those guys aren't going to get in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, presumably, yeah. Presumably. Now, it, there has been times when three teams have gotten in from it's one rare. division, but it's rare. So you got to think half of those quarterbacks in that pool of four really good quarterbacks are out. That's a plus for the Bills. Uh, that is, you know, those teams got to play each other twice, and that's it's going to be a dogfight. Not only are they going to play each other twice, even if two teams or maybe even three teams get in, they're going to be wild cards. Yeah. Uh, and and they're, they're on the road. And they're not – none of those three teams, would you would think, are going to be the one seed, which is where the, you want to be is the Buffalo Bills squad. So that I think it's a good thing where he landed out there in the AFC West for the Buffalo Bills. Now, for the yeah. conference, obviously, it's another good quarterback. It's one thing. It's another yeah. headache for teams. But the fact that he landed in the AFC West with those other quarterbacks, that is a – you think about the quarterback pool in the AFC West right now. Yeah, I think it's, it's a crusher. A, I think it's a major plus for the Bills. Number one, they don't play those AFC West teams. The only team they play is Kansas City. This year. Having finished in the right. same – position in their respective division it's the crossover intra-conference opponent that the bills have to face kansas city because they both finished in first place in their respective divisions this past season they don't have to play those other three teams 
And I would venture to guess that those four teams, knowing they have to play each other twice, they're going to beat up on each other. Sure. They're going to hand each other some losses. Meanwhile, the Bills in the AFC East don't have the same measure of competition, certainly at quarterback, in the AFC East. So I would say if you're a betting man, your chances are better that the Bills are going to have a better one-loss record at the end of the year than maybe any of those AFC West teams, including the division champion, which puts you in a very good position to get the ultimate holy grail of playoff seedings, the number one seed in a bye, right. and home field throughout, which is what we've heard Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and Josh Allen talk about time and time and time again. I believe with the way the AFC East is set up, because you still got young guys still learning at the quarterback position in the rest of this division, the AFC North, you got Burrow, you got Jackson, there's at least two really good ones there. Right. And who knows how Pittsburgh fills their role. And you still got Mayfield. Um, and then the South, you know, whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a schmozzle right now. Um, so I, I think the Bills are in a really good position with Allen at quarterback. I'm not saying he's going to have a Brady-like run at the top of this division, but, it's, but this year anyway, it's going to look very much the same to what right. it did last year as far as I see it. Dude. I, agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah, Josh Allen is by far and away the best quarterback in the division. It's going to stay that way for the foreseeable future uh, because the, the Patriots and the Jets just got their guy. They're going to, it's going to be a couple of years before they thumbs up or thumbs down. And two has got a new head coach again right. and a new offense again. Right. So, uh, yeah. The AFC East for Josh Allen and the Bills is laid out a lot better than the AFC West for Russ Wilson, Pat Mahomes, Derek Carr, and Justin Herbert. Best of luck. Goodness gracious. Now, it's not quite, a, and another one would be like the AFC North. Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Burrow. Joe Burrow. There's three That's of tougher. them. That's tougher. It's pretty tough. Uh, you got a former MVP and a guy who just took his team to the Super Bowl uh, and a number one overall pick in Baker Mayfield with a really talented roster in Cleveland. It's a tough division, and right. Pittsburgh, you know, talented defense, that kind of thing. So you're going to uh, have an AFC West club right. that's not going to make the playoffs, and you're going to have an AFC South champion that makes the playoffs. Right. That's probably going to have like a nine and eight record. Well, <laughs> here's the thing: Tennessee got to the number one seed the exact way we're projecting the Bills could get there this year. Yeah. Tennessee was beaten up on on uh, uh, the Colts, the Jaguars, the Jaguars, the Texans, and the Texans. So, okay. Yeah. That's where the Bills need to be, and that's what it's going to look like going for the one seed. Now, the Bills, there's no question their expectation is going to be through the roof. And when we get through these roster problems that we've been talking about in the rest of the podcast, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But yeah. at quarterback, when you look at the big picture, it looks very good for the Bills in this division compared to others. Since this is Bills by the numbers, it's only appropriate that we leave you with our final figure. With the franchise tag deadline coming and going this past week, how many players on average are hit with the franchise tag over the last five years? You want to venture a guess? If you had to guess the average number of players franchise tagged over the last five years, Steve, what number comes to mind, do you think? What's an average over number? Over, under, two and a half. It's, it's almost nine. Really? 8.8 is the average number over the last five seasons. You want to guess which team has used the franchise tag in each of the last five years? Dallas Cowboys. There you go. Bingo. Dallas Cowboys, because they tagged Demarcus Lawrence twice in the last five years, and they've tagged Dak twice in the last five years. So they have used it each of the last five seasons. No other team has used it more than three times in that five-year And five they used it on a tight end this year, did span. they? They used it on Dalton Schultz yeah. this year, yes. 
That's all the time we have this week. Please subscribe to Bills by the Numbers on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when the next episode is available for you. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next week, everybody.